Amen. Thank you, brother. Wonderful songs this morning. That was great worship service. Thank you. Children, you're, you can head out to, or downstairs to, to be with Roberta and uh, children at Sunday school if you'd like to do that. Or we have the nursery. Uh, if the kids would like to go downstairs, now's the time to do that. And before we get started, I've neglected to mention that we do have invitations for that August 13th thing out in the foyer as well. Have a whole stack of these postcards. So you can grab a stack and be able to hand those out to your neighbors and coworkers, etc. And uh, we also have it on Facebook. So if you want to go to the Falls Baptist webpage and share that, that'd be a way to to uh, spread the word as well. So, okay. With all that being said, let's go ahead and get into God's word this morning. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter four. If you have your Bibles, so you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter four with me. We've been going through Ecclesiastes for, well, this would be our seventh week now, and uh, we've seen that this is a book of wisdom written by King Solomon, most likely in the 10th century BC, and he's he's employing a, a few different tactics and employing this or giving this wisdom out. He's arguing from the negative. Um, he's uh, a lot of things. When we opened up the uh, the first couple chapters we saw him employing when he would say faith he really or when he when he said um, wisdom he really meant foolishness uh, and so he was using irony and arguing from the negative to to demonstrate to us in this book of wisdom that life under the sun does not make any sense or have any meaning or purpose in, unless you have God and what he's doing in his creation at the focal point that laboring and working and existing is as meaningless as vanity. It's like trying to grasp the wind unless you have God at the at the center and what He's doing. And so He's He's given us this. Um, the Holy Spirit inspired Him to write these things that we can dig into these things that we can be reminded even in 2021, even though this was written uh, so many years ago, we can be reminded of how important it is to have God at the center, to live for God's glory, to. To first come into relationship with him through believing and receiving Jesus as their as one Savior, and and then pursuing and living out your meaning and purpose that God has made you for in living your life for His glory. And so, even though it was written so long ago, we see what what Solomon we're going to see that Solomon provides us three uh, other means of wrongs that he's observed under the sun that he he's struggling with he. Uh, the uh, closing in chapter three, he's he's begin to interject his theology, meaning he's begin to interject who he knows to be God and what God, who's God revealed himself to be, and he's trying to to reconcile the injustices and and the oppression that's happening, even though God um, has declared himself to be holy and righteous and all powerful, and and we can um, those are previous sermons that we've 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 walked through, um, but. But it comes down to this, this idea of living a life that is without the existence of God. And here in 2021, we live in a culture that is increasingly turning their back against God and, and rejecting the belief and understanding that God is real and God has created this creation that we are existing in and he's created each of us individually. All these things that God has revealed in his special revelation, they're rejecting those things. They, 
And, and what the fruit of that is an increasingly a culture that says there is no meaning and purpose in life. That we're all just a cosmic mistake. And even though this book was written so many years ago, we're still dealing with the same issues, issues that Solomon saw way back then. And he's going to give us three things that he's observed that we can still observe today that we are still struggling with as we attempt to live our lives for the glory of God, as we attempt to reconcile who God has revealed himself to be versus what we see and observe in life under the sun. So I believe it's a great opportunity for us to, to be um, reminded of what, that God is sovereign and in control. He's providentially working out his will. He's, he's saved, he's got a rescue mission that he's empowered us to be the, the proclaimers of. But ultimately, we, in, as we study Ecclesiastes, we see a people that are, have no hope because they have no understanding of God and who, who he is and what he's doing. They have, they're void of meaning and purpose in their life. And so let's go ahead and get into Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We'll read the, the scriptures and then we'll see what the Lord might have for us. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. And look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. So I commended the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. But better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. I saw that all labor and all skillful work is due to, one's, to one person's jealousy of another. This too is futile in the pursuit of the wind. The fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. Better one handful with, re with rest than two handfuls with effort in a pursuit of the, gin, of the wind. Again, I saw futility under the sun. There is a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother. And though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself of good things? This too is futile and a miserable task. Verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift them up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift them up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist them. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Verse 13, better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. For he came from the prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. There is no limit to all the people who were before them, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you. Lord, 
I just uh, ask, Father, that you would uh, use this time as we open up your word, as we proclaim your truth, Father, that you'd use this time to minister to our hearts, God, that you would uh, allow the truth that is that we can glean from these passages that we're, we're proclaiming today, Lord, that we could see the truth that you've given us in these things, and um, Father, especially that your spirit would empower us to, to live out, to, to make application for what we might find out and understand today that we might walk out your word in our in our daily lives and we come to you knowing that we can't do it in our own strength and power it is through the power of your spirit lord you desire us to be a a beacon on a hill you desire us to be the salt of the earth and we desire the same thing god but we realize we can't whip it up in our own strength it must be you moving in us god and so we ask that you would move in us this morning that you'd allow each of us to uh grow a little closer with Jesus, that we might be transformed a little more into his image. And we pray for those who are outside of Jesus this morning that may be here or listening, God. We pray that your spirit would move in them, that they would be convicted of their need to, to receive and believe on Jesus for salvation, that you would receive glory in all that is said today, Lord. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so there's quite a bit here. Um, but essentially, Solomon is kind of changing his uh, changing topics, or he's kind of refocusing back to the last few verses of, of, of Ecclesiastes 3 was him interjecting these theologies, like, I see these things, but I know God is going to judge. And so last week, we, we spent some time uh, uh, really celebrating the fact that he, he, he didn't know when, how God was going to judge. He didn't know, he, he was proclaiming, he didn't know if, if animals went down, to, down in the earth and the the human spirits rose uh, up to, to God. He, he, was, he was confused and confounded, but, and we rejoice in the fact that God didn't stop revealing his, his message and who he is and what he's doing. In Ecclesiastes, he's, he's given us a greater understanding and his complete revealed special revelation in his word. We have the beginning. We, have, we know why there's evil. We know that why there's darkness. And it's, it all stems back from the foundational teachings that we find in Genesis, the fall. And the separation from God because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. And, and we see the first murder happen in, in Genesis 4. But then we also see that God is on a rescue mission. He, he's not done. He, he's promised this Messiah. And he sent prophets in the Old Testament to point to this, this coming Messiah who would save God's people. And then we have the revelation of the Messiah in the New Testament. In the Gospels, Jesus Christ shows up and demonstrates himself to be the Messiah. The very Messiah that the Old Testament prophets prophesied who came to seek and to save those who are lost, those who are separated from their God. And we see his earthly ministry and then his uh, ultimately going to the cross and bearing the, the sin, the, the wrath of God upon himself for all those who would receive and believe him. He was the spotless Lamb of God. This Messiah came to, to save by giving his life on the cross and paying the penalty for us. That's the good news. Yes, there's bad news. But the good news is Christ has come to seek and to save those who are lost. The scriptures go on to proclaim that Jesus uh, rose three days later after his uh, going to the cross, demonstrating his power over death, tying it all the way back to Genesis when God said, if you disobey, you will, you will die. The consequences of sin and disobedience is death. 
Jesus came and conquered death for us. And the promise for us, who all who believe and receive Jesus, is that we are now in Christ. And because he rose, the promise for us is one day we will rise from the grave as well to eternal life. And a life that is existent where we will dwell with our God and be with him and he will be with us. That is the good news. That is the gospel. In the meantime, we're, we're stuck. I would say stuck. God's allowed us to be here, right? In this earth where we wake up and we wrestle with the fact of who we know, who God is. And, and, but we also know, as we talked about last week, the scriptures also declare the, the end. There's coming a judgment. There's coming a day. And we talked about that for, for believers, those who are, um, for non-believers, those who are outside of Christ will be judged according to their works. And for, for believers, we still will be held to an account of what we've done with his salvation. There's coming this finality of, of God's rescue plan and what he's doing in this world. In the meantime, we're, we're here. And scripture calls us to live for him, to live for God's glory. In spite of what we see and observe around us, the evil and the darkness, what has God called us to do? And that's what I pray that we'll be able to walk away with a few things, but, but living out our walk and trying to glorify God in, our, in this life in spite of what we see around us. Instead of just giving up and going, I'm just going to wait for Jesus. I'm just going to retreat and go into my house. And right? No, God desires us to be out in our community and being a force for his light and for his good. And uh, so we'll, we'll just, uh, I guess I preached my whole sermon. We can all leave now. No, just kidding. So let's just, let's just, uh, let's just kind of try to peel this apart, this onion that, that Solomon's give us here in the first 16 verses. So the three wrongs that cause his life to be futile. So he's observing again. He's no longer using this theology. He's just observing. He's struggling with these injustices that he finds. So the first one is corruption in the seats of power. Right? In verses 1 through 3, again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. So he's observing and he's seeing oppression of people all over and I was just, I was just studying this I wanted to give you some statistics of the oppression that that are in this world today and I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to give you the numbers of children who are in slavery in this world um, sex trafficking all this oppression that we see even today is rampant and as Solomon observes, this is, this is the hard part for us, right? The ones that can save them from the oppression are actually the ones that are oppressing. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. And so that's why he says this in somewhat hyperbole, exaggerating, but we all kind of get the point. So I commend the dead who have already died. They're no longer suffering under the oppression. More than the living who are still alive. Better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. So as believers, we wrestle with that as well, right? I'm not the only one that just says, God, I just don't understand. Why? But we know the comfort that we take, that God will judge all unrighteousness. Right? 
No one's getting away with anything. There's coming a day. Moving on, he sees wrong motives in the marketplace, not only in the seats of power, but in the marketplace. I saw, he says in verse 4, I saw that all labor and all skillful work is due to one person's jealousy of another. So the motivation in the marketplace as he's observing, he says all labor and all skillful work, it's done for, with the wrong motivation. It's, it's to get one up on the next person. It's keeping up at the Joneses. Right? I gave the illustration last night, and people were looking at me cross-eyed. But it's like, it's, uh, to give you an illustration of what this looks like, I wake up every morning to my next-door neighbor who has this beautiful ski boat on the side of his house. And I just look, I, it's red, it's awesome. And I just, man, I'd, I'd love to have that ski boat. But I can't afford one. So what I could do is get a job, better paying job, and I could save and maybe have my children go without a few meals. And, you know. But what this is pointing to is um, a jealousy of another, right? He has something that I want. So, so what this could lead to is, you know, better yet, what I could do is... Find out what my neighbor does for a living. Do that, what he's doing for a living, better, and steal some of his clients or whatever he does. And that way, he loses money. He can no longer afford the boat, but I have the money so I can buy that boat. That very same boat, right? That's, that's the keeping up with the, that's the, the motivation that we're seeing here. To get, to gain material possessions with the wrong motivation for selfish interests. And he says, this too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. The fool folds his arms, consumes his own flesh. Um, that's, he's speaking of the, the, those who seek after material things are never satisfied with them. If your whole life is based on what you gain materialistically and all of your toys, you're never going to be satisfied to the point where end up consuming your own arm, right? Because you're never satisfied with what you've already partaken. Isaiah, um, Isaiah chapter 9 kind of speaks to that because it gives a better clarity on this, on this verse. It says this, uh, Isaiah 9.20, They carve meat on the right, but they are still hungry. They have eaten on the left, but they are still not satisfied. Each one eats the flesh of his arm. They're never satisfied, so they end up, right? It's just this picture of, Never being satisfied. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. He's saying it's so much better for us to be at rest. This, this idea of shalom, God's peace with himself, with God, peace with God and peace with one another. So much better for us to live in that regard. As opposed to striving for personal gain and personal self-interest with effort. It's just a pursuit of the wind. Much better is it to, for us to be at peace with God and peace with one another. And then we see uh, in verses 7 through 8, um, the wrong motives in the marketplace. And this is more um, the individual, part B, verses 7 through 8. Again, I saw futility. That's vain. That's something that is grasping at the air. That's what futility means. And the Hebrew word employed here, under the sun, there is a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother, and though there is no one, there's no end to his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Again, pointing to this idea of this, this guy who's spent his entire life um, gaining riches and gaining material possessions, but he's not content with what he has. 
Instead, he finds himself alone. He doesn't have companion or son or brother, and he comes to the end of his life, and he has all these things, and he says, who am I struggling for? He asks. I'm depriving myself of good things. This, too, is futile and a miserable task. And then we see this picture of this king in verses 13 through 16, and I label this the wrong motives for retaining positions of authority. Solomon's going to paint for us a picture of this, this king who became a king by being wise and youthful and listening to people and gaining wisdom. And then when he assumed power, he stopped listening. He became foolish. He stopped allowing people to speak into his life. He Again, this paints this picture of someone who has this power and authority and wants it to uh, retain it for selfish ambition for his own purposes. And this is what Solomon says for us in verse 13. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. And so we can see here that it doesn't necessarily mean you're wise just because you're old. You're wise because you glean wisdom and understanding from others and heed the warnings given to us by others. It's better to be poor and wise than to be a foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. And he uh, paints this picture of this king. For he came from prison to be a king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. majority of the commentators that I read, pretty much all the commentators that I read, kind of alludes to the, the story of Joseph in Genesis, where he, he, right, he was thrown into prison, and, and God providentially allowed him to become uh, the, he wasn't the pharaoh, but he was, he was over and in charge of Egypt. Um, through God's providence. And so there's an allusion to that, but, but he, it, it, it's because of his wisdom that he was able to do that, to come to power, and then also God, right, providentially working. And he says, this guy, because of his wisdom, because of his youth, his ability to understand things and to glean and to heed warnings and be wise, he, he rose to power in spite of being coming from prison and in spite of being poor, he came to power. And this is what he says about this, this king who now has his power, stops listening to people. He has his power and wants to retain it, but for his own, instead of using his power and authority to help others, he's, he wants it for his own ambition. He stops listening to those around him because he wants to be the guy in control. And, and Solomon's ultimately saying, look, there's coming a day when he's going to have to Fade off into the distance, just like everyone else that was before him. I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. There's coming, there's up and there's an up and coming youth who's wise who's going to replace this king. Verse 16, there's no limit to all the people who were before them. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. So this king wants his power, he's retaining his power, and in the hopes that he can have it. But Solomon's like, look, it's coming. There were people before the king that were in charge and there's going to people be people after the king and no one's going to rejoice in this king this too is futile and a pursuit of the wind so authority and having that authority um, having the ability to affect other people because of your our authority and the places we are the positions that we're given in life um, can be also used for selfish ambition ultimately i believe is what solomon's trying to teach us and see and explain to us the wrong that he's seeing around him 
So that's kind of what the passage of Scripture has, has given to us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 1 through 16. But it's always important for us to try to, to make application for us today in 2021. How do we take the things that we've just learned about, these wrongs, these injustices that we still see today? How in the New Testament context are we to live to glorify God if that's truly what we're here for? He's saved us and he's, he's caused of commanded us or desires for us to be his light in this dark world so how are we to to take these injustices that we see and how are we to live it out this is not exhaustive there's just a few suggestions that i might have for us this morning first the seats of power seeing injustices in the seats of power and the first thing that we can do is get in, get involved and live for god's glory we live in a culture in, in the United States that, that we have the opportunity and the blessing to participate in our political processes. So we should be able to, to we, we should exercise that and, and vote. But we should align our vote, I believe, as Christians, we should align our vote with God's glory and what God desires and his, his um, established means of what he says is good and, and right and holy. Live for God's glory. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to these people who are, are worried about what tomorrow is going to bring, anxieties of life. And he says, don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what we will drink or what we will wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He says this in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. Live for God. Put him in the center of your life, in this church's life, right? Live for him and his righteousness. We have the ability to vote for people, and I admit it's increasingly harder and harder to do. But if you don't like what's going on in the school, go to the school meeting, the, right, the, in the city councils. Be involved. We're blessed to be able to do so. Run for the school board. Become involved. But live for God's glory in that. Align yourself with what God has said. We can also become an advocate for the oppressed. There's many, many, not, there's some good, solid Christian outreaches that are fighting against child sex slavery, child or trafficking and all that stuff that's going on, child slavery. And you can... You can be an advocate. You can participate with those groups to stand up for those that are being oppressed. I think uh, one of the major ones that we find ourselves in America are the ones that can't speak for themselves. Babies in their mother's womb. I just found out there's a good buddy of mine from my home church that um, he got so... Uh, just, you know, fed up with what we're doing in this society with the murder of babies, that he decided to do something. He didn't just stand back and be mad and say, how can we? He's doing something about it. He's working with another organization, but the website is Voice for the Voiceless, talking about the oppressed the, the babies that can't speak for themselves, who have every right to exist, because they're an image bearer of God as well. But what he's doing is he's going 
and you got to stick with me through this. He, he goes to the, to the Planned Parenthood there in Salt Lake City, and he's standing out with a sign, but he's not there to condemn them. He's there to point them to another way. Our society has projected this image that the only thing that an unwanted baby can, can be is ultimately ended up in, in, in its life. But there's thousands of families that would love to be able to adopt who can have children. And so he's not standing there to condemn. He's standing there with this, this group that he's involved with, and he's saying, there is another way. We will, we will be with you from beginning to end. We will provide you the, the, the rides. We will pay for your medical treatment. Uh, we will pay for the, the uh, adoption services. There is another way. See, he's, he sees an injustice, but he, he's decided to do something about it. Not to condemn them, but also to give them the gospel, a grace, that there's forgiveness even in those things. And he's, you know, he's got some videos that, you know, people are spitting at him and yelling at him and calling him all these crazy things. And all he wants to do is preserve life and point them to a different way. There's a pregnancy resource center two blocks from this abortion mill that he can, they can go down to and get everything handled and paid for. They're doing something about it. And we can do something about it too. That's what God's called us to do, to live for his glory. It's to not only agree with the, the injustices that they're bad, but to, to do something about it. Something all of us can do is pray. Pray. We see the injustices, the wrongs being committed by those who are in authority in the places of power. And God calls us to pray for them. 1 Timothy 2. First of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. For kings and all those who are in authority. So that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. In spite of your political parties, God's called you as a Christian to pray for your leaders. To pray for them. That God could use them so that we may be able to continue in our freedoms to proclaim what God's rescue mission is. That we might lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. God's called us to pray for our leaders, those who are in authority. I came across this parable. I thought it was good because it kind of shows us this idea of justice and injustice. And it's the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. And this is Jesus teaching. And he says, now he told them a parable of the need for them to pray always and, and to not give up. And this is the parable. There, there was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. And then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect 
who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. What a great parable for us to be reminded of God, how God sovereignly and providentially works in his creation. He uses means. And one of his major means in, in working his justice out is the prayer of his people. To pray for them. To pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are to consistently bombard God with our prayers for his justice to be carried out. That's something all of us can do. The marketplace, number two, that injustice that was found in the marketplace. Loving one another in action. Loving one another in action. John 13, 34 um, is where Jesus gives us the new commandment, right? I give you a new command, love one another as I have loved you after he just got done, the Savior of the world, uh, God in the flesh, washing his disciples' feet. He goes, just as I've done, you are to do. And so uh, the marketplace, what we do should be a, a means in which we can love others, right? We see a picture in that Solomon's given us of a person who's selfishly working for his own, own things. Instead, we are to use what God has given us for us to carry out this commandment. So those who accept, and this is seen in the, the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, we see... Um, Acts chapter 2 is where Peter stands up proclaims the gospel message thousands are saved right the Holy Spirit comes down and just it's just an amazing oh, man it would be so cool to see that but then it goes on to say this is the fruit of what happens after the spirit fills the church and begins to save people this is what these the, the life of a, of a church began to, to be realized so those who accepted his message were baptized and there's a baptistry right over there. So all those who've accepted the message of Jesus and proclaim them, him to be your Savior and live in him, I invite you to step, step out in the first step of obedience and be baptized. His message were baptized and that they do, the, that day about 3,000 people were added. But look at this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held things in common. How did that look? They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. You see the diametric, the, the different place here? Solomon's looking at this guy saying that he's worked his whole life for selfish ambition and at the end of his life he has no one to bless with all of his stuff. Who am I to give it to? But yet God calls us to, to, to uh, take the things that God has given us because they're ultimately his, to, to be able to serve one another, to love one another as Christ has loved us. And so in the New Testament context, it's good to have a boat. It's good to have things that money can buy. I think Warren Wearsby, I lost the, lost the quote. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. Uh, Warren Wearsby said this, it is good to have the things that money can buy. I'm not saying you, you have to sell all your possessions, right? It's good to have those things, as long as we understand this comes from God, right? He says, it's good to have the things that money can buy, provided you don't lose the things that money can't buy. If you're so busy gaining those things, 
and you lose the ones around you that love you the most because you're never present, because you're always pursuing the material things. And that's ultimately what Solomon's painting a picture of. He, he's bookcasing this uh, idea of community within these ideals of these guys who, who've made themselves isolated from community. Right? We see the guy who's going out gaining riches for his own selfish gain at the end of his life. He says, I have no one to give it to. It was vanity. It was for nothing. And he's isolated. And then we see this king who's trying to hold on to his power. And, and because he stopped listening, he's isolated himself as well. And in the middle of that, we see Solomon give us some good wisdom here about the importance of community, to live in community and not in isolation. There are better than one because they have a good, two are, sorry, two are better than one because they have good rewards for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two, die, two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? Everyone that's been camping knows that, right? You're freezing cold. And next thing you know, I don't care if I'm in a tent with a, another guy. Man, if I just get a little bit closer to him, I can steal some of his warmth, right? Well, some, some of you might have a problem with it, but I don't have a problem with it. If I'm cold, I'm going to get warm. And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him, right? If someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord, and so... This is a great sentence here for us. A cord of three strands is not easily broken, right? You take one string, it's easy to break. You combine the two strings, it's harder to break. The more we walk in unity, right, the, easy, the harder it is for, for us to be broken. This idea of community is so important for us in the Christian ethic. Some of us don't have spouses. Some of us don't have family. But God has given us community in his, in, his, in his church. The church of Jesus Christ are all those throughout the world who have, who have heard the gospel message, have received and believed and trusted in Christ, are added into Christ's body, which is his church. But the physical manifestation of his church is here, in this building today. And it's not this building, it's you. And he desires for us to live in community. He desires the widow to have... A, relationship with others and all of us to have relationship with, with others and I, I'll be the first to admit it's easier to live in isolation because I don't have to be vulnerable right but that's not what God has called us to do he calls us to be vulnerable and he calls us to live in community with one another that means we have to hang out with one another we have to have fellowship with one another we have to break bread with one another we have to do life together we don't have to we we get to i should say we get to that we can be a community as the new testament paints for us that same very same passage of scripture in, in for, for acts 2 45 i ended and this is the this this church this is what they begin to do with each other every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. So church isn't just something we should check in our box. Church is a means for us to live 
and dwell in community to be able to carry out the great command that God, Jesus has given us to love others. Because I have loved you, Paul would go on to say, especially those that are in the house of God. We are to care and love for one another. An important aspect of battling the injustices that we see in the world, this, this idea of isolation. If COVID didn't teach us anything, it's the fact that isolation is not meant for humanity. Right? Just suddenly being robbed of the ability to meet together. Just so hard for me, uh, for all of us. It's terrible. Because God has meant us to live in community. God, because God is, uh, he's a relational, communal God, right? He's one God, in essence, but he's always existed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. All three of them co-equal, co-eternal God, in essence, who have always, for all of eternity, existed in perfect harmony and relationship with one another. And that's why in Genesis, God said, I made this, it was good. I made this, it was good. I made this, it was good. He made Adam and he said, it is not good. Don't, wives, don't elbow your husbands. It's not good for Adam, what? To be alone. Because we are God's image bearers. And we reflect God's, who God is in our relationships and how we treat one another. Right? It's an important aspect of the New Testament ethic. Number three, wrong motives for retaining positions of authority. And I would just say, to reduce it down for us, we, we all have our circle of influence, I call it, right? We all have a group of people that listen to us and trust us, what we say, and we might have arguments or disagreements on that. But um, the, the opportunity for us to speak into other people's lives is very important, but we have to have the right motives for doing so, not for our own selfish ambition but for the benefit of others the christian ethic right what god has called us to do if you're truly going to live out our lives for god's glory what does that look like and paul gives us this list of what that living for god's glory should should look like and i'll be the first to admit it's not going to be perfect but this is what we are to strive for as christians romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 21 we're to strive to live the christian ethic which looks like this let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Jerry and I were doing this circle dance last night. We're downstairs getting food because I wanted him to be first in the line to get the food because I was, I was trying to honor him, to take the lead in honoring him, saying, you go first because I want to honor you. And he's like, no, you go first, right? And we're doing this. That's, that was my attempt at my joke. I'll move on. <laughs> Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be zealous for God and for his things, for his kingdom. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. We have a great hope that the majority of our society does not have because they're buying into this lie that we are all just a cosmic accident. And there's no meaning and purpose in this creation. But we, let us rejoice in the hope that we have. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute, persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We have oftentimes many opportunities to rejoice in what God is doing. Let's take the time to rejoice in those things with others as well as weep with those who are weeping. When death comes, when loss comes, it's our, God calls us to come alongside them and, and not fix it, but weep with them, to let them know we're, we're there with them. There's nothing we can do to change the situation, but we're going to walk alongside of you through this. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Right? God, God, in this body, there's people from all different backgrounds and economical backgrounds, and we're all one in Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we're not to, to segregate the church and economical means or any other racial or anything. Instead, we're to serve. Associate with those who with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If you want to live for God's glory, these, this is what we are to strive to do through the power of the Spirit. If possible, he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes that can't happen because the other person has chosen not to do so. But as far as it is with you, desire to live in peace with everyone. He goes on to say, don't carry out your vengeance because he ultimately says, vengeance is mine and at the end of Romans chapter 12. And we discussed that last week, right? There's, no one's getting away with anything. All the evil and the injustices will be judged by our holy, just, omnipotent God that's coming today. And Christ has called us not to carry out vengeance upon those who we feel need it because vengeance is his. And we are instead to be the light. In um, Romans 14, I believe it is, Paul says, the more unified the church looks, the more people on the outside go, wow, what's going on? The mark of a beacon of hope and light in a community is a church that's unified, seeking to live out their lives for God's glory individually and with one another. So that's what God's called us to do. Big task. It's a day-by-day -day process. But praise be to God, it doesn't rely on our own strength. It relies on the, 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 the Holy Spirit and dwells the heart of every believer. And uh, the more we learn to, to um, yield our lives to Him and obediently step out in faith every day to pursue these things, the more... It will become. That's the promise given to us in Scripture. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to uh, come before you and to open up your word, to be reminded of the injustices, Lord, and that you've called us not to just sit back, Lord, but you've, you've given us means and ways in which we can, we can fight against those who are being, or for, for those who are being oppressed. And so, God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that feels conviction to, to fight, have a greater fight for those who are oppressed for all these things that we see in our world, Lord, that you would convict them uh, of their need to, to do something about it, to, to join the mission field, to, to stand for the oppressed, to, to join the, 
the uh, school board to, to run for those things, to attend our political, all these things you've given us means and an outlet to be able to fight for, for your, your, uh, your law and your holiness, God. Allow us to, to, to do that. Help us, God, to take what we've learned today and put it into action that we not will only be hearers of the word but doers also. And God, I pray, um, I pray for the oppressed. I pray for the, those that um, we're so blessed in this country, God. And we, we realize that there's, there's a large portion of humanity out there that do not enjoy the same. And so we do, we pray for them, that your justice would be made swift. And, um, and we leave that in your hands, God. Help us to be the light you've desired us to be, you've called us to be. I pray for those who um, don't know you or are outside of Jesus this morning. All that we've talked about today, the New Testament ethic, can't be done and just checking boxes. It's when we encounter you and Jesus in a saving way and that you've uh, made us a new creation in Christ and then the Spirit indwells us. They can't do any of these things without you saving them first, Lord, and giving them eternal life. And I say, pray today, God, that you through the power of your spirit, convict them of their need to turn from all else and all abandon hope into anything else and put their f- trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his accomplished work. They too may have the hope that rests within 